Every day, I know that this virus brings new sadness and mourning to households across the land. That this is the biggest single challenge this country has faced since the war. The European Commission has launched a global campaign to find a cure for the coronavirus. Because today, the world is coming together to defeat this virus. Passing through the peak. I want to thank everyone on the NHS frontline, as well as care workers and those carrying out essential roles, who selflessly continue their day-to-day -day duties outside the home in support of us all. The Chase the Rainbow trend has seen kids all around the world put the colourful images in their window as a positive message. This is the worst public health crisis for a generation. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Hello, Emmanuel Church. Uh, my name is Noel Hakenen, and I serve as one of the pastors at Riverview Church in Lansing, Michigan in the United States. And I have had the great joy and pleasure of preaching at your church a number of times. Um, and, and please don't tell London or Manchester this, but Brighton, and Hove actually, um, is my favorite city in England. Um, in fact, I was supposed to be there in March of this year, but COVID-19 <laughs> happened. Um, and, uh, and even though I can't be with you in person, at least I get to be with you virtually from my home. So welcome to my home. Um, I, I, I was wondering why it was that Pastor Joel invited me to jump in with you virtually. And then I realized he probably invited me to preach because he wanted someone in this series that looked like Noah uh, to preach one of the sermons on Noah. Um, as I said, I, I live in Lansing, um, Michigan. Uh, Lansing is the capital city of our state, Michigan. 
And, and what that means is that we are often the center of attention when it comes to political speech in our state. And so a couple weeks ago, people descended onto my city, as they, they tend to do, uh, from across the state to protest our governor's response to COVID-19. And when they came to my city, uh, many of them were peaceful, um, and 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 most of them, were, and they were, uh, and there was a small, vocally and physically loud handful of them that came uh, bearing flags. Some of those flags were Confederate flags being waved proudly from the back of pickup trucks um, by people carrying assault rifles of all things, and, and some of those flags went a step further. Some of them were Nazi flags. And, and some people tried to explain away the Nazi flags. They said, well, uh, those are just people declaring to our governor um, that she is uh, being like Adolf Hitler, which in their minds, what they're saying is they're facing unjust suffering to the tune of the Holocaust um, because they're being asked to wear masks and stay home for a while to protect people from the coronavirus. Um, but to most Americans, uh, including those in Michigan, both of these flags, the Confederate flag and the Nazi flag, are symbols. They're symbols of systemic and brutal op op oppression of people who are considered others, right? Jews in Nazi Germany and African slaves in the American South. And some of these protesters were waving their flags proudly and some of them said they were doing it ironically because they were being you know, personally, systematically and brutally oppressed. Um, and it's not lost on me that only a couple weeks later, George Floyd, a black man, was brutally killed by a white police officer in another city that I love, Minneapolis. Uh, George Floyd became a living until he wasn't, breathing until he wasn't, symbol of true systemic and brutal oppression. And the thing is, Symbols matter, and yet symbols, be they flags or people or names, they sometimes matter in different ways to different people uh, and different degrees, depending on the eyes that are looking at those symbols. For instance, this magnificent beard um, is a symbol of Brighton because it is groomed exclusively with products that I purchase in your great city. In fact, the, la the first time I visited Brighton, I went down to the lanes and I discovered what has become my favorite beard oil, my favorite beard balm. And so every time I visit, I make sure that I stock up enough, enough product to last until my next visit um, because this is a symbol of Brighton to me. I, I love your city and, and, and I love wandering through the lanes. I love the culture. I love the food. I know it's probably a tourist trap, uh, but I, I find myself spending too much money when I'm down in the lanes every time I visit. Um, and, and you don't have to spend very much time in the lanes for your eyes to fall on another symbol. Another symbol that comes in the form of another flag, a rainbow flag. And like all other symbols, uh, your response to seeing that particular symbol, that flag, will vary depending on the eyes that you look upon it. To some, that flag is a celebration. It's a celebration of an oft-marginalized and stigmatized and oppressed people group. And to others, it is a bold declaration of, of sin and rebellion. And, and my hope and prayer today is that the next time that you are able to wander the beautiful lanes in Brighton, 
uh, and you see that rainbow flag, that it will mean something new to you because you will be viewing it through the eyes of the most ancient meaning of the rainbow. Last week, Toby uh, Ford Weston covered Genesis 9 uh, verses 1 through 7. And he showed us how God remembered his creation and didn't abandon her to a watery grave after a worldwide flood that God had brought in judgment. And we saw how God remembered both the people and the animals and how he gave instructions uh, that governed the interactions of the people and the animals from that day forward. And today we pick up in verse 8 and what we're going to see is that God shares with both the people and the animals a deal that he is making with them. And if you have your Bibles handy, you can flip, tap, or swipe your way over. We're going to be in Genesis 9 today, starting in verse 8. It says this, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Now let's just stop there for a second. I want you to notice a few things. First, um, the covenant that God is making here is not just with Noah. It's also with Noah's children. And it's not just with Noah and his children. It is with every one of their offspring that comes from their family line, which means this covenant that God is making with Noah and his children also includes every single one of us. But God doesn't even stop there. He extends this covenant all the way beyond the people to all of the animals. This covenant was that far-reaching. Now, We do have to stop here for a second as well, because again and again in this passage, we're hearing a word that is not very common in our daily usage. Uh, Of course, granted, it it may be common in in the UK, but Americans use a a rather simplified version of the English language, so maybe it's just us. The word that is unfamiliar to us, except in religious circles, is the word covenant. And you see, Covenant is kind of a tricky word. And the reason it's tricky is because of language. You see, in every language, there are words that are hard to translate once you jump outside of that language, right? Um, So it happens between, for instance, American English and English English, right? For instance, the last time or two times ago, I can't remember when I was preaching there in Brighton, I used an American idiom. Um, it's a rather famous American idiom. Uh, basically, uh, we always get the context, but it didn't translate. It really didn't translate. Um, basically, what I said when I was there, and I quote, is, do these pants make my butt look big? And I had no idea that the word pants means undergarments in English English. Um, in America, it means trousers. What I should have said is, do these trousers make my butt look big? And, and this type of miscommunication happens uh, in an exponential form when you jump not just between t- two similar languages, but when you jump to two very dissimilar cultures. Because what happens is, cultures tend to create words around the things that are important to them, right? That's why we have the word selfie. 
<laughs> because it is a very important thing to us. A less you know, self-oriented culture would have no need for that word, right? But you jump from one culture to another, and then sometimes you have to do a lot of explaining in order to cover a concept that doesn't translate to a new culture. Let me give you one more example. I'm Finnish. I don't speak Finnish, um, but my grandparents are from Finland, um, and it's a very difficult language from what I understand. But there's a word in Finnish that is a unit of measurement that is the average distance that a reindeer has to go before it has to take a break. <laughs> you will never need that word. But historically speaking, it was an important word for a Finn, right? Covenant is a word like that. It has all kinds of important nuances and, and facets, and because we don't understand the culture that is wrapped around the word covenant, we often miss how powerful this word is and what it really, really means. So let's try to understand the idea of a covenant. A covenant, it's a promise but it is way, way stronger than a promise. A covenant is a contract, but it is way, way more intimate than a typical contract, right? It is, it is a relational, intimate contract. A, a covenant isn't just the promise, it isn't just the, the contract. A covenant is the relationship that surrounds those things, surrounds the promise and the covenant and the contract. A, a covenant is the intimate connection of the people who are in the covenant with one another. A covenant is totally binding, more binding than anything you can ever wrap your head around, and more intimate than any relationship you can grasp. Um, and sometimes a covenant is between two parties uh, that are equal. Sometimes a covenant is between someone who's like a king and, and people in the kingdom, the citizens. Sometimes a covenant is conditional. It has strings attached. Sometimes it's unconditional. It doesn't have strings attached. And the Jewish culture had this, this, this overwhelming sense of the relationship between parties and how they related to one another that a covenant was a powerful word that made sense. The Bible is chock full of covenants, and it starts on the first pages. When God made a covenant with Adam, he said to Adam, listen, I have created this creation for you. I've made it for you and for Eve and your descendants, and I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be multiply. I want you to walk with me in the cool of the evening. I want you to taste of all the fruit in the garden, except this one fruit, right? Uh, just don't go there. As long as you don't eat the one fruit from the one tree, your relationship with all of creation will be perfect. Your relationship with me will be perfect vertically. Your relationship horizontally with the other people will be perfect. Just your relationship with creation, with the animals will be perfect. Just don't eat the one piece of fruit on the one tree. If you do it, you will die. Do you see how this covenant is intimate? How this covenant is relational? And yet how deeply binding this covenant was? When Adam sinned, his relationships were broken. His horizontal relationship with his wife, uh, in fact, his son killed his other son, Right? Vertically with God, his relationship with creation itself was marred. And, and sometimes we look at this and we think, this seems really ridiculous, right? One stupid piece of fruit and the entirety of humankind is spun out of control? It seems a bit harsh. But it only seems harsh because we don't understand covenants. Now, does some of the 
Adamic covenant sound familiar to you? It should, because last week we saw that God reiterated some of this to Noah. In the passage we, we covered last week, and I think the week before, right? God reminded Noah to be fruitful, multiply. He gave him terms on how to interact, interact with creation, specifically with animals. But there is an important distinction between the covenant God made with Adam and the covenant he is now making with, with Noah. And the distinction is his covenant with Adam had a condition attached to it. Don't eat this fruit. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die. With Adam, there was uh, conditions, there were strings attached. It was that way with the Mosaic covenant that God gave to Moses as well. In fact, there's a sense in which the covenant that God made with Noah is more like the covenant that God made with Abraham than any other covenant. Do you remember the covenant God made with Abraham? Abraham was pretty much a nobody. The only thing special about Abraham um, was that God picked him. He just picks this dude. And he promises him land, descendants, and blessing. And he says, I'm going to give it to you unconditionally. And if you go back and read Genesis 15, which I highly recommend, it is a fascinating story, right? Um, you see what would happen happen is when two parties were making a covenant, they would take an animal, they would cut the animal in half, and they would lay the animal out like this. And then the two parties would walk through the animal right there, and they're basically declaring to everyone, if we break this covenant, if either one of these parties that goes through the middle of the animal, if either of us break this covenant because it is so intimate, and it is so binding, and it is... May what happened to the animal happen to us. It was a huge deal. But Abraham's covenant was wild. God said to him, I want you to go find a, a three-year-old cow. I want you to find a three-year-old female goat. I want you to find a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. I want you to cut them all in half, lay them out on the ground. So Abraham does this because he knows how these covenants work, right? He's going to lay it out, and then he and God are going to go through the middle. It's the whole thing, right? And the story is actually pretty funny. If you can kind of read between the lines, um, you see that Abraham is there all day. He obeys God. He lays this all out. He waits all day, and God does not show up. He has to run um, uh, vultures away as they're coming to try to eat the uh, the animals. I assume there were flies everywhere. And, the, and then as night fell, a deep terror fell upon Abraham as well. And he fell into an almost coma-like state. He couldn't move, and that's when God showed up. God said to him, I am giving you land, descendants, and blessing, whether you like it or not. That's my paraphrase. That's the Noel Standard Version. And at that moment, a fire pot and a flaming torch descended down from heaven and floated through the center of the animals that Abraham had laid out. Question for you, who were the parties involved in the covenant? Abraham and his descendants and God. But who made the covenant? Who went through the animals? Only God. There are times when God makes a covenant with someone and he holds only himself responsible for the outcome. He did it with Abraham and now he does it with Noah. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. He says this, I establish my covenant with you. Do you see it? Who establishes the covenant? God. Who goes through those animals? God. I establish my covenant with you. You have no choice in the matter. 
I pick you. I'm doing this thing. You can bank on it with the certainty of my sovereign will, God says. What, and what is this bold covenant that God makes with Noah, with all of his descendants, including us, with all the animals? This is what he says. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Over the course of the series that you have been in, um, at Emmanuel Church, what we've seen is a paradoxical tension. On one hand, we've seen God's righteous judgment against sin. On the other hand, we have seen his unfailing mercy. And when God flooded the world, he could have wiped everyone and everything off the face of the earth forever. It would have been the end of days. But he didn't. In his mercy, God preserved a people for himself. And God's righteous judgment against sin is critically important. Otherwise, evil wins, right? Evil must be dealt with. Sin is any failure to reflect the image of God in nature, attitude, or action. Anytime we're unlike God in his perfection. Sin wreaks havoc on our relationships, on our systems, on our world, and something has to be done about all that wickedness. In the time of Noah, that thing that, that dealt with the wickedness of the world was this worldwide flood that wiped everyone but eight people and the animals in the arky arky, right, from the planet. But in God's covenant with Noah, he says, I will never do that again. It's like God is taking a tool off of his tool belt, placing it into his toolbox, and closing the thing and saying, I'm never going to use that tool again. Now, does that mean that evil and wickedness will win now? Because as we saw last week, the world is the same after the ark as before the ark. There's still a lot of evil in the world. There's still a lot of need for righteous judgment. When I see Confederate flags and Nazi flags in my city, when I see a, a police officer's knee on, on a man's neck, I want God to bring the flood back. But he won't. So who will deal with all this wickedness? Who will handle all of this evil? A better Noah. Today, through the miracle of technology, I'm also preaching at my church. And I'm preaching from 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. And the topic is, wait for it, Noah. <laughs> and there's a lot of debate about that passage in 1 Peter about what it's talking about. But I think what it's clearly telling us is that in the time of Noah, Noah preached as he built his ark. He, he was a preacher of righteousness, it says in Hebrews. It was Jesus, though, that preached through Noah, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to those whose hearts were hard. And Jesus wasn't finished with his work when the waters receded for the first and final time. Jesus came back to earth. He lived a life saying he came back to earth. He came to earth in the incarnation. He lived a life of unrivaled beauty and perfection, sinless and pure. And then Jesus went to the cross. He was nailed to the cross as the storm clouds of sin, Satan, and death grew on the horizon. And he himself became all of the evil and pent-up wickedness of the world. And this time, when the floodwaters of God's righteous judgment fell, they crashed on Jesus and Jesus alone.
Jesus absorbed the wrath of God until with a loud declaration, the final moment of victory, he declared, it is finished. And on the third day, as dawn broke through the clouds, so did the sunshine of a new spiritual dawn. Evil was done for. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. And that word is crossbow, by the way. It's a crossbow in the cloud. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and earth. The covenant, the intimate promise, the relational, intimate, powerful, powerful, undeniably um, strong, unilateral, unconditional covenant of God. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that it is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What it's saying is this. When you see a rainbow, be it on a flag or in a sky, it is a symbol filled with spiritual meaning. Do you see it? When you see the rainbow, God himself remembers something. That doesn't mean he ever forgot like we often do. When the image of God remembering something shows up in Scripture, what it means is that he calls to his mind his promise and he acts on it. So when you see the rainbow, you can know that he will never, ever wipe out the world with a flood again because those flood waters have been dissipated in the blood of Jesus. And in this world, he has filled his people with the same Holy Spirit that flowed through Noah when Noah preached the gospel of sin and righteousness. So that just as Noah could declare sin to be sin, we can stand against evil in our culture. We can stand for righteousness. And just like Noah, we can point to the one who has absorbed the righteous judgment of God so that he extend to us unceasing mercy. And just like that promise with Noah, There's nothing that you can do to break that covenant between you and God. It is unconditional. It is secure. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, there is nothing, no evil, no wickedness in this world that can rip you out of his hand. So now you can boldly go into this world. And every time you see that symbol of a rainbow, you can remember that God is someone who keeps his promise. And he has promised that he will complete the work in you until one day you are with him in glory. I love you. It is so awesome to be with you, even virtually. I long to be with you again in person someday. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Noah. We thank you that he was a preacher of righteousness who preached and built an ark. We thank you that when the waters receded, that you gave him and his offspring and the entire world, including us, a new covenant, that you will never use that tool in your toolbox again. When we see the rainbow, we just pray that this most ancient of truths would come to mind, that you are a God 
who makes and keeps his promises and acts on them. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this in his all-powerful name. Amen.